Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who loves us and speaks to us. We thank you that you do not leave us to our sin, but that you continually call us to draw near to you through your Son and by your Spirit. Help us to not take any of this for granted and help us to be living as a community who is saved by your grace. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I'd like to begin by saying that a recent experience of mine, as I was picking both my children up from daycare, I was loading up them up into the car, and I was uh, tending to my son, putting him in, and in a split second, from the corner of my eye, I could see my four-year-old daughter rush to the road. And of course, like any parent, I screamed, No! Like a mad person. Now, just to be clear, I, I don't like, I'm not the typical person to shout in public, okay? Uh, but I, I, I screamed my head off, only to realize that she didn't run into the road. She just went to the side at the drain because she saw a leaf that she liked. Now, <laughs> uh, typical parent experience, isn't it? Like, but, but as a parent, when the child is headed for danger, I would argue that it's absurd then, rather than, than being crazy, but the absurd thing is rather to see, oh, she's running to the road. Let's see what happens. Or maybe, you know, parents today, right? Let me whip out my phone and take a video to upload it to social media and see how many likes I get. That, 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 would, be, that would be bad parenting right there, wouldn't it? <laughs> that is natural to lose our head uh, out of a desire to remove our child from danger. And that's what we see in our passage today with Paul. So uh, we are now in Galatians chapter 4, and we've seen earlier parts of Galatians, in earlier chapters, how uh, Paul said that by the law, no one can be justified. That the law is God's standard of perfect righteousness that none of us could achieve. That all of us, even us today, we all stand guilty before God by this standard. And that in Christ... God has united himself to us, that Christ became man and gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, as we read in chapter 1, verse 4. And that it is true faith in Christ that we are justified, proclaimed righteous as if we obeyed the law in chapter 2, verse 16. And not only that, that we've been declared righteous, but we've become heirs of God, sons of the promise we read in chapter 3, verse 29. And last week, we saw that we've been even given the Holy Spirit in our hearts to proclaim intimately before God, to call God Abba, Father, in chapter 4, verse 6. And we've seen how the Galatians are in danger of turning their back on Christ, all that Christ has done, and just going back to what they once had. As you read, the Israelites were, were in danger of doing with Moses in their eagerness to try to pursue, Christ, to pursue sonship by the law. So in our passage today, we see Paul as a spiritual parent who, who loves his, his, the churches in Galatia, being very emotional because he, he, he knows that they are going down a path of doom. So a main theme of today's passage is Paul's emotions, his, his zeal his desire, his passion for the Galatians. And for us, uh, I hope for us to learn in the big idea is that we, we are to maintain our zeal for Christ in gospel community. And my, my sermon today will be in three parts. Uh, it's broken down uh, 
part one, that Paul entreats the Galatians in the first part of verse 12. Paul reminds the Galatians uh, in, in, in their, of their past blessedness uh, from the rest of verse 12 to verse 15. And last but not least, that Paul anguishes over the Galatians as an anxious parent from verses 16 to 20. So we begin in our first verse in seeing Paul making an emotional entreaty. He says, Brothers, I entreat you. Become as I am, for I have also become as you are. That Paul here makes the first command in, in, in asking them to become as he is. We have in our letter, in chapter 4 by the way, right? The first command, up to this point, Paul has not asked them to do anything. But here we have the first command because all this before this was setting the stage for where we are right now. But Paul makes this command not as an apostle, even though he establishes himself as an apostle, but as a brother. Because he said that we are all sons in Christ. All of us, we have a shared sonship in Christ. That God doesn't have grandchildren. He only has sons. So he calls them brothers. And he entreats them. Uh, that the word entreat here could also mean to plea. In other parts of the New Testament, it's been used to beg. I implore you. I eagerly beg you. It's an emotional appeal. And what's the appeal? To become as I am. So what does Paul mean here? You see, we see that the error of the Galatians, that they're buying into the law, uh, the, the lie that they needed the law. That's the lie. That they needed to follow the old Mosaic law, to be circumcised and follow its demands. And Paul's asking them to follow him. So we've seen earlier in chapter 1 verse 14 that Paul describes himself as zealous for the traditions of his fathers. That he grew up a Jew under the law, wholeheartedly following the law. But that Paul met the risen Christ and that turned his life around. That he realized that it's not about keeping the law alone, but that the law was meant to point to Christ. And Paul found a new blessedness in his risen Lord. And he's inviting the Galatians to do the same. Turn from the law. Turn to Christ. Because he also became as they were. What does this mean? Because we see that when he's, he's talking about when he first met the Galatians. Paul was living with them, free from the law, fellowshipping with them. As he shared the gospel with them. As he rebuked Peter for doing that the law will prevent them from, from fellowshipping with Gentiles. And Paul, free of the law, went to the Galatians and shared the gospel. Which brings us to our first principle, that believers should be following faithful God and godly gospel examples. So we see here that Paul begged the Galatians to follow his example. And let me ask us, where will we be asking others to follow our example? If you, any of you are like me, um, you hesitate to do so. Like, sh should I really? Because I know my own failings. I know I'm not perfect. Who am I? What basis do I have of asking others to follow my imperfect example? But here's the thing. If Christ has been at work in our hearts, if we have been children of God and, and seek to follow Christ the best that we can, despite our failures, I would argue that we are a model, however imperfect that may be, of what it, may, it means to be following Christ in an imperfect world. And that sometimes, a new believer who doesn't know what it means to live in the faith 
needs to know that being in the faith is not about being spiritual supermen or superwomen, but that we all still fail and we all need grace. And sometimes that grace is displayed in an older Christian admitting that they need Christ daily just as they needed the first day. And that can be encouraging because God, while God primarily uses His Word to reveal how much He loves us, and that God, uh, God also uses His people in fellowship with one another to point each other to Christ, to love Christ more. So remember, we are to maintain our zeal for Christ in gospel community. So let me ask, how are we pointing each other to Christ? As much as we don't allow others in our life, as much as we don't share with what God is doing in us, even as we struggle to live for Christ, we are actually depriving brothers and sisters of a means to be pointed to Christ. So may I encourage you, instead of waiting and thinking, yeah, why hasn't anyone approached me to, to, mo- to, to show me a model of what it means to follow Christ? Instead of asking that, may I turn that around and ask you perhaps praying to God, God, may you show me someone, just one person of whom I may encourage to follow you with my example. Pray that prayer today, perhaps. And that Paul, we've seen how Paul does so. And if maybe you've, you've forgotten, maybe you don't feel like you want to, Maybe you need to be reminded again of what it means of the blessedness of salvation as Paul seeks to do with the Galatians, right? That he reminds them of their past blessedness. Moving on to the, the, next, the last part of verse 12, he says here that you did me no wrong. And the grammar here will inform us that Paul is not just saying that in the past, when I first met you, you did me no wrong. He is making a complete statement totally, that you've done me no wrong since the time I've met you till now, even in your turning away from me. You didn't harm me, you didn't injure me. He's recalling back to the first time they met until now, and he he explains that in verse 13. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. So what is this bodily ailment? Much ink has been spilt in discussing this, but in the end of the day, we can't be sure. There, There are many possibilities, but the thing is that we don't have enough information. But we do have some things for sure in that Paul locates this ailment in his flesh, in his body. That's number one. Uh, so that's what we know for sure. And uh, as Paul lays out here, this ailment, this, this disease or weakness, it could be any of these things, right? Disease, weakness, or ail- uh, impairment. Uh, because of this, that he was in Galatia at first. So that's number two. And number three, we know that this ailment was a trial attest to the Galatians. Um, in verse 14, that my, my condition, my, 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 the, my body, my flesh was a trial to you, literally. And the, te- the test, the trial, was whether they would accept Paul or reject Paul. That Paul's ailment to any normal person would have been uh, uh, acceptable means of rejecting Paul's message, let's put it that way. But if that was the test, we see that the Galatians passed with flying colors. That they didn't reject Paul. They didn't look down on him. They didn't despise him. They didn't scorn him or despise him. And, and the language here, literally, they didn't spit on him. Right? But rather, they accepted him as an angel of God, as Christ himself. And I would, I would push 
that it's not that Paul had some magical charisma that somehow attracted people to him. No, it's that Paul brought them the gospel, that they received new life from God, and therefore they welcome, they, they appreciate its messenger in Paul. And we see that uh, Paul describes this acceptance as blessedness in verse 15. What has become of your blessedness? So as much as blessedness here is receiving the gospel, is contrasted with the cursedness, the anathema. Let him be a curse that we read of in earlier in chapter 1, verses 8 to 9. That, they, let him, that if anyone would proclaim a false gospel, if anyone would follow a false gospel, let him be accursed. So what has become of the acceptance of the gospel now that the Galatians are turning away? And furthermore than that, Paul says, for I testify that if it was possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Some would have taken to mean that um, Paul's ailment had to do with Paul's eyes. It's possible. But the more important point here is that the Galatians would have been willing to dig out their own eyes to, to give it to Paul as a replacement, like a vivid image of friendship that you mean so much to me that even if I have to go blind in one eye, I would give that to you. And surely we can see that that's the sincerity that they once had. Because they loved the messenger as he brought them words of life. And this brings us to our next principle, in that believers need to maintain our gospel fervor. Can you imagine what life is before Christ? Maybe for those of us, it's a while ago, but bear with me. That you have no hope in life. That you're just living by the moment. You're just surviving moment by moment. That you do not know what it means to be forgiven by God to be living under the weight of the guilt of all the wrongs that you've done and to not know how precious God's love is, how genuine it is. And that in a moment when you've heard the gospel, you receive, you, you see how God loves you. You saw how Christ died on the cross for you, for your sins, and that God's acceptance of you in Christ so that whatever you were living for in the past is worthless compared to the, the love that you have now in God. To taste God's love for the first time. Now, if you do not know what I'm talking about, perhaps I'm sounding crazy. But can I just say for a moment, uh, whether you're here in person or you're listening to us on screen uh, via the live stream, if you do not know what this is uh, and you don't know what the love of Christ means, um, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're listening to this uh, for whatever reason that you're listening to it. And I hope that you leave encouraged. But above all, I, I would like to invite you that if you don't know the love of Christ and how good it could be, I invite you to taste and see that God, that God is good, that His love can satisfy you more than anything else in life. But for the rest of us, if, if, if that's not you, and, and for those of us who have been Christian for a while now, maybe, just maybe, we've lost that fervor that we've had at first. So how do we maintain it? How do we keep our love for God fresh, zeal? How do we keep it? We keep it by being in community with one another. That believers are to maintain their zeal for Christ in gospel community. So not only are we to be examples for one another, but we are meant to be spending time together over the Word. Uh, and not only here on, on Sunday in service, listening to 
the wonderful choir uh, and, and hearing um, the word preached and, and, and following the liturgy, but especially in our community, side by side, in the people that's around us. All too often, we come to church as consumers. Uh, I've come to meet a spiritual obligation. Oh, I felt the hymn speak to me. Oh, the sermon was good. Oh, likewise, the sermon was not good. I didn't meet my needs. Or whatever it is, I've done my Sunday duty. Check, okay, God, uh, enough, next, and I'll go to the rest of my Sunday. May I lovingly suggest that that's not an example of gospel community? That uh, we need to be thinking of ourselves and each other when it comes to uh, pursuing and maintaining our fervor. But how do we do this? How does this look like? And Paul uh, demonstrates this even more in our next section. So let's just follow on, okay? So we see that Paul anguishes over the Galatians as an anxious parent. And we come now to verse 16. So Paul, in chapter 4, verse 16, has been laying out things that he anticipates will not go down well with the Galatians, especially those who have bought into the lie, who have bought into the, the lie of the false teachers that they need the law to be circumcised to follow Christ. That he anticipates that they would, they would treat him as his enemy. And I'll pause for a minute and ask us, how do we receive truthful rebukes that maybe we don't like to hear? And I'm speaking as one from first-hand experience as well. So there's a recent experience for me um, when I was offering my, my uh, sermon of mine that I thought I did pretty well in, and I gave it to a, a, a senior preacher for, for rebuke and critique, and uh, I did not do as well as I thought. And that was hard to swallow. And, and that, that can be hard, isn't it? When, we're not as, when some people give a, a comment or a critique that reveals to us that maybe we're not as good, or as holy, or as nice as we thought we were. Um, but may I suggest that it is far better, and, uh, far better to rebuke, be rebuked and to be humbled than to be guilty of spiritual pride. Because as, even as godly humility accepts rebuke, pride is there's a constant need to be stroked uh, by praises of others, for others to speak kindly and nicely. Uh, and, and we'll see next, how does this pride look like? So in particular to the false teachers who were persuading the Galatians otherwise, what does Paul say of them? That they make much of you but for no good purpose, in verse 17. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. Now this make much of, in three words, is actually one word translated as zealousness, to strive, to be jealous for, to strive for. And, and this, to take this to mean that the false teachers were trying very hard to win over, to persuade the Galatians that they are right, that Paul is wrong. And we see now that this is for no good purpose, that they, they praised the Galatians, they, they, they spoke well of them and, 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 and did so for their own boasting, as we'll read in chapter 6, verse 12 to 13. And it was for their own purposes, for their own boasting, uh, even though the Galatians would end up not saved. That in, in asking the Galatians to be included in the sons of Abraham by circumcision, they were ironically excluding them, shutting them out from the gospel, from God's true community, uh, from Paul. And that, that's how we can understand verse 18. That it is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. Uh, and Paul's here saying literally, that is good for people to be zealous over you, right? 
It just doesn't translate so well in English. That's why they chose this word, make much of, isn't it? But Paul's saying, it is good to be zealous over, and not just when I was doing it with you in the first. So Paul's, saying, he, Paul's coming, not coming from a place of jealousy at all. If Paul's saying, I'm not there with you, and if there were others there that, that wanted that, that strife, that was jealous for you to the point that they led you to the gospel, amen, go for it. Paul had no agenda in it. But we read later uh, that he desired their spiritual maturity. So beware of those who always seek to be praising you and speaking nice words to you, but for their own good. All right? But let's move on to Paul. And Paul's plea here, uh, like I said, it's not from jealousy or self-servingness, but it's as a parent who genuinely wishes the best for his children. He's in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That unlike, unlike the false teachers who were self-seeking, Paul's desire was for their spiritual growth in Christ. Now, how much do we desire our fellow believers to grow in Christ? Are we in anguish of childbirth? Now, of course, Paul is not speaking from first-hand experience, obviously. Um, and neither am I, but I was privileged enough to be in the labor room for both my children's births. And I, I thank God to my wife who persevered through uh, two natural births. The, the anguish and the anticipation of childbirth, uh, I believe it's, it's something that uh, I guess God specially gifts mothers uh, who experience childbirth to go through. But as an analogy of, of desire for one another, it's that deep anticipation that you would labor in hopes that Christ can be formed, that they can be mature. And I guess as parents, we desire our children to be independent, to be functional members of society, and as Christian parents, to grow up in the faith, for Christ to be formed in them, for them to be living for Christ as well. Parents will want no less, isn't it? But when it comes to us and our fellow believers, how much do we actually want? Or are we just thinking of our own spiritual development, our own spiritual needs, and not thinking of the needs of our brothers and sisters? One more thing I'd like to point out here is that in verse 20, Paul wishes that he could be present with them to change his tone because of his perplexity about them. Um, now, speaking to those on the live stream, there are of course exceptions to physical presence. There are times when physical presence, and we've just come from a time of uh, a unique historical time in which in, for two years we were excluded from one another. But I will still maintain that when there's a conversation, a difficult conversation you need to be having with someone, would you rather, and, and you want that conversation, that, that, that message to get across, that person to really feel what you're feeling, would you be sending a letter? Or would you be seeking to be sitting across from them and, you know, delivering it to them in person, preferably face-to-face? -face? And we all know the answer that it's better to be doing so face-to-face that being present is much better. And, but like I said, there are exceptions. But that even in those exceptional circumstances, I would argue that the, the people who are in those exceptional circumstances would desire to be present. It's just that they can't. So, in so much as we find ourselves being okay with being separated, being okay with being isolated, of not having brothers and sisters in our lives, in our face, I may I lovingly suggest that there's something deeply spiritually wrong with that desire. 
And that's as wrong as a parent caring nothing that the children is rushing to the road or the children is rushing to touch a hot object or touching a live wire and the parent does nothing. To want, to not want to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ is just as unnatural. And this leads to our last point, last principle, in that believers, we need to be guarding each other to gospel zeal. So I've asked about do we, how do we care for our fellow believers? Do we wish Christ to be formed in them? Or are we just preoccupied with our own needs, our own agendas? Remember that we are to maintain our zeal for Christ in gospel community. That church is not just something that we do, that we be here for one hour or log on for one hour, once a week, then that's it. But church is something that exists in community. And I'll go as far to say that we cannot be the church without community. We cannot have Christ formed in us unless we're in community. That we can't, brothers and sisters, we can't make it to the end if we don't have each other. Because to really persevere and make it to the end, God has given us His Word. He's given us His Spirit. But He's also given us His Church. We cannot thrive in our spiritual growth if we are isolating ourselves spiritually. So let us endeavor in our conversations later at the tea terrace or online, even if it's reaching out to communicate with one another, let us not just be keeping it here, but be doing so throughout the week. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word that you've given us your spirit to, to proclaim in intimacy, to call you Father. But above all, Lord, I thank you that you've given us brothers and sisters in Christ, that we may model for one another what it means to be living for you. Father, if we have not been doing so, help us to be thinking about who we may, may need our example, who we can be sharing your work in our lives, that we may encourage them towards, uh, towards you, towards loving you. Help us to recognize in ourselves our need for our brothers and sisters. And Father, I pray over uh, the hurt and, and, and the times when interactions among brothers and sisters has been less than loving. And I pray for your, your spirit of reconciliation and forgiveness to be over those interactions, that we may uh, forgive one another and be reconciled in you. Because we need one another, Lord. We need to be in, in, in your community, to be your body, to glorify you in this world. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.